Amen. Let's stand for the word. We're so thankful for Pastor Keith, House of Grace, and those were his men being baptized this morning. I just was sitting there thinking how many men are in heaven because of that ministry that God's raised up there. And uh, Pastor Keith, we love you, Jennifer, and thank you for, I know all the, I don't know all, but I know the sacrifices that go with ministry, and I know how much you've sacrificed to keep that ministry uh, alive and going through Jesus and and uh, I get the privilege to go there once a month to be with those men, and I love it. I love it just, I, they know I do. I don't have to convince them. They know I enjoy it just much as coming here on a Sunday morning and getting to preach to you. Now, the thing they got over you is they'll throw their hand and ask questions. If you do that, somebody will come ask you why you got your hand up. Cause, but, uh, <laughs> but it's a different venue, different format. And I can't always answer their questions by no means. Uh, they don't just throw easy ones, but we're, we're, we're so honored. And... Uh, to be able to be part of that ministry. And I'm talking about not just a ministry that ministers to, to men that have had whatever kind of problem, drugs, alcohol, homeless, it doesn't matter. But then that ministry goes a step further as a marketplace ministry. And it's really what we in the church should be doing more of, where it has businesses that they own. They own the Shell Station at, at uh, egg, what, exit 30. Uh, seven, they own the Shell station there. Go pull in there and buy some gas. Hallelujah. Or, or 39. 39, ain't it? And, um, and just amazing things. Refrigerators right down the road here from the church. On the left is an appliance store. And, uh, hey, I'm doing a commercial. This wasn't even planned. But, uh, but when you go into that appliance store down here, right here on 84, just to buy all, down the road on the left and buy a refrigerator or a stove or a grill or they just, the list is endless what they got. But that's, you know, you're blessing the house of grace. And you're helping men to be baptized like you saw today. They have car washing ADL. They sell used cars. They, I can't even keep up with all that he does. But, you know, he's, he's busy funding uh, the ministry and the gospel there. And the men are working and laboring, and, and, uh, and it's good to do that. Amen? Even the karate kid learned that, you know, wax on, wax off. I mean, come on. It ain't all about just the fighting and the kicking, okay? Amen. Y'all good this morning? Turn around and love somebody. Hug them. Greet them. Shake your hand. Whatever you feel like they're comfortable with. Now, don't hug them if they don't want to be hugged. But Welcome them to Grace Point. Amen. We are honored to have you here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. I'm going to read one verse and let you be seated. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering when is my Christmas sermon, here it comes. Here it is. Okay. We will be having service, of course, next Sunday and the following Sunday. We will be having service as normal on uh, Christmas Eve. It won't necessarily be a normal service. We're going to be doing uh, communion and uh, have some special things going on. And... Uh, and uh, we'll get you, you know, it actually will probably be a little condensed on time-wise next Sunday, but we will be uh, meeting here Sunday morning. And, uh, and so we'll, we also meet the following Sunday, which is New Year's Eve. So, so don't forget about that. And if you've got family and friends, bring them in. Bring them with you. Amen. And uh, today I want to entitle this God's Indescribable Gift based on the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.15 where he just makes this statement. He says, thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. 
That's an amazing way to say that. He just says it's a, it's a gift that's indescribable. Uh, you know, over the course of the next two weeks, probably most of us in this room some, uh, will uh, hopefully get and receive some type of gift. And uh, some gifts that you'll be given will be practical like clothes and tools and other gifts may be electronics and gadgets and stuff you'd consider to be fun. But very few of those gifts that you receive in the next week or two will be probably described as indescribable. In other words, this is an ind- no. In fact, most of us probably have already described the gifts that we wanted pretty well to our significant others so they would knew, know exactly what we wanted and exactly what to get us. But there are special gifts that have deep, deep meaning that you just really can't put into words. Imagine if you're a mom and dad here and your son's coming home from the military, from Afghanistan, and being deployed, and you're going to get to have Christmas with them this year. Imagine how you're going to just put words to that. You can't put words to that. Or a family member that's been sick and been in the hospital, now you're going to be able to spend Christmas together with them uh, this year. And that's words that are just hard to find to describe what those gifts would be like. But how do you describe the undescribable? In other words, how do you describe, really, to someone that's never seen blue, the color blue? How do you describe to somebody Jesus who don't know Jesus? How do you really describe what Christmas really, really means to us believers in Christ? And so words fail us, and I think that's what Paul knew, and that's why he wrote that and said this is just an undescribable gift. And so, you know, I've been preaching now for a long time, over 30 years, and I've preached about the happenings of Christmas over and over, and still, even all those times I've preached about it, I don't think I've ever even come close to describing what Paul was trying to say in 2 Corinthians 9.15. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to just take a minute to look and see that what was Paul saying when he said, thanks be unto God for this indescribable. The King James says it's an unspeakable gift. The New Century Version says it's a gift that is too wonderful for words. The uh, English Standard Version of the Bible says it's an inexpressible gift. And then the Message Translation says it's a gift that no language can praise it enough. Isn't that wonderful? I like reading those different translations. And so, Father, we do thank you. And all we can say is, wow, God, we thank you for that indescribable unutterable gift of your son Jesus. The whole reason that we can live and move and have our being and have hope and, and, and to, to have life, eternal life, is because of this gift. And so we give you praise, honor, and glory for the gift. And we join with Paul saying, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift that you have given mankind. Thank you, Lord. You didn't wait to see what we would do with it before you gave it but you gave it while we were yet sinners. Christ died. We give you praise for that today. We, we pause and we, we, we reflect upon that. We acknowledge that. We know we're surrounded by so much activity in the Christmas season. And even though you weren't born on this day, maybe not even in this moment or season or months, but we know one thing, you were born and you did come to earth and you did become a man and you did save us all that we receive and call on your name. So we give you praise for that in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, why is this gift so 
indescribable. I'm just going to give you a couple of a little points this morning. Number one is one of the reasons is because it involves something greater than we can even grasp. It's greater uh, than we can even really put our minds around because what the story is about is God becoming a man. And uh, not only becoming a man, he says, but he became flesh, John 1 and uh, 17, to dwell among us. And for most people, either they've heard that so much that it just doesn't mean anything to them anymore, or they claim that that sounds more like mythology than anything else. And it's, it, they say, well, that's nice, but it's ridiculous. And they don't somehow really get a hold of it. They don't really see how God became a man. But, it, but, but the story is this, it's God revealing himself through Jesus Christ. That's the reason Jesus came. So in other words, God was sending his word. God didn't just start talking to people when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But God was sending his word throughout the old covenant, but they wasn't getting it. In fact, they would run from God. Remember one time God called them out to the mountain with Moses, and the people left that day and said, we don't ever want to go out there and hear him again. And you go and tell us what he says and come back and tell us. When they were terrified by the, 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 the manifested presence of God. And, and so to me, I'm always reminded of a story of something like this that Watchman Nee. Anybody ever heard of Watchman Nee? But he would tell this story about how that this, this uh, and it's a parable, of course, but it, like this monk was living in the extreme cold uh, area where it, 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 this uh, monastery, though he liked feeding the birds and he would feed the birds. And, and, uh, but it was a place that didn't have, it was pretty barren. It didn't have a lot of food source. And so he would feed them and he would provide provision for them and he would feed them bird seeds and whatever things that they could survive off of. And then, but uh, one winter, the snow was so heavy, it was so uh, bad that the birds were even beginning to die because they couldn't, they didn't have enough food. And so he would go out to where they were and he would try to put the food out and they would fly away. They were afraid of him. And he couldn't communicate to them. He couldn't convince them that I'm not going to hurt you, that I'm going to help you, that I'm trying to help you to live and not die. And, and, and they would be terrified of him and fly away. And he was so distraught over that that he went back to the monastery and he's sitting there thinking, he said, now what, 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 what can I do? Because if I don't do something, they're going to die. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll become a bird. And then they won't be afraid of me anymore. So he's, he became a bird and he flew into the tree and they paid him no attention. And he was able to communicate in their language and he looked like them and he talked like them and he was able to lead those that would listen to him to where the food source was and they lived and didn't die. I know that's a cute little story, but that's the gospel because God became one of us. God became a man. When God was God thundering from lightning and smoke on Mount Sinai, we ran from him. We were afraid of him. But when God became one of us, in fact, when he was born, most people paid no attention. He looked like us. He, he walked like us. He talked like us. But, but he came to be one of us, that he could lead us to life, that he could lead us so that we would not have to die. See, that's the whole story of the gospel. That's what makes this story unique, and that's why Paul called it indescribable. Because God, Emmanuel, that's what it means, God with us. God became a man. And so he sent his, his, his self, he sent his son, and he sent Jesus to, to represent himself to this world. And, and, and so this is the Christmas gift of all gifts. And for God to do this, though, in other words, for God to be able to become a man, he had to be born exactly like a man. And to be man, he had to be born of woman. It says that in Galatians that at the fullness of time uh, that, that, that God sent forth his son, 
uh, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. And so we know about the law part of it, but we, don't, we forget the born of a woman part of it. And it'd be so easy to take the whole time to talk about the, the, the supernatural, miraculous uh, 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 incarnation of God, where God became a man, where he appears through the angel Gabriel with a word. He appears to a Jewish girl named Mary, and he says to a, a who is a spouse who is engaged to her husband, which in those days was a legal thing, by the way. And we in the church have, we have so... Uh, uh, glamorized and romanticized the Christmas story that we have really eliminated a lot of the great truths that are really in the practical, pragmatic aspect of that story. Because here is Gabriel saying to this woman, and when he walks into Mary, most of us know these words. He says, Hail thou highly favored of God. All right? And he uses a unique Greek word there. And, uh, and, and it's only used one other time. Listen to me in the whole Bible. Only one other time. And that's very unusual. So this word is used when he says highly favored. That word highly favored is a unique Greek word. The only other time we find that word in the entirety of the Bible is in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, where Paul said, you have all been accepted into the beloved. Now, if you'd get that, that'd make you shout. Because Paul said every human that is born again into the family of God, you've been highly favored. In other words, yeah, we can go, yeah, Mary, Mary's highly favored. But when you look at yourself, you don't really see yourself highly favored. But God says that you, if you've been accepted into the beloved, and who is the beloved? Jesus. Jesus is the beloved of the Father. You're, you have the same favor. You have the same grace. You have the same uh, privilege that Mary did. And I want to tell you something, the whole thing, how Mary interacted with Gabriel and all the conversation that went on there, listen to me, that's really how you and I receive our miracles, our things that we need from God, because it's all based on the word of God. So Gabriel comes with a strange message. He says, you're highly favored of God. First off, that's a strange message. Most people don't believe that. But if you can accept that, that you're really highly favored of God, then he says something to her. He tells her that she has been chosen by God. See, God said that I've chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. That's all, that's all of us. We've been chosen in God, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the entire world. God chose you. And God set his love upon you while we were yet sinners. Am I preaching any gospel yet? Just let me know when I start saying Bible stuff. And, and so, so God did that. But when Mary heard the words that she was going to become pregnant, that she had that opportunity and privilege, God didn't force her. She still had to respond to the word of God. So when the angel said it, her natural human brain kicks in and she says, how can I get pregnant because I've never been physically intimately with a man? She's a virgin. I've never been with a man. I know not a man. And he answers it. He didn't get angry with her. He just says, I know you're trying to use your head and this is not a head thing. This is a spirit thing. He says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So that answered her well enough. She says, you know, she didn't even probably understand what that really meant how that would feel, what it would result. She said, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. That's how. And then she says this, be it unto me according to thy word. See, when you and I will say that, no matter what the word says, if we'll just say and agree with God, be it unto me according to thy word. So when it says by his stripes you were healed, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever God promises, then agree with God. Don't, don't, don't agree with God. Just say, be it unto me. Not unto the neighbor, not unto the person down, but, you know, because you need it. I need it. Be it unto me. According to what? According to how I feel? 
No, no. According to what my head understands? No. According to how long I've been in church? No. According to, no, no, no. Be it unto me according to one thing, uh, the Word of God. The Word of God. Mary said, be it to me according to the Word of God. And when that happened, she believed. And conception happened. Now, I want to tell you, that was such a big deal. Sometimes God knows, listen to me, that we need help. He knows we need help. And so what happened is Mary is pregnant, but just because God said you're pregnant didn't mean her belly went out this far. Right? There's, she can't go get an ultrasound. She can't even go use the little stick and come show the positive sign. Are y'all with me? So how does she know she's really pregnant? She's going to have to believe the Word of God. She may have not felt a thing. You don't know that she felt something. I don't either. She had to believe the Word, just like me and you. How do you know you're healed? How do you know you're saved? How do you know that God's going to come through for you? How do you know it's going to be all right? Because you believe the Word. Not because you can prove it. Not because you got the test results. Not because even the doctor said. Because somebody smarter, somebody older, somebody wiser than the doctor. Thank God for the doctor. But you go, I mean, how are you going to know? How did Mary know? Mary couldn't prove anything. Mary didn't wait till six months till she could prove that she was pregnant to start telling people she was pregnant. See, we got it messed up, man. We, we want to wait. We don't get excited until the doctor says something. We don't get excited until we can prove it, until we got an x-ray. But we need, what about Mary? She had to say, I believe the word. I believe the encounter. Now, God, the angel did say this to her. When he told her what was going to happen to her, he encouraged her faith. You know how Gabriel did it? Like you and I should do. He gave her a testimony. You know, testimony is the spirit of prophecy. That's in Revelation. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you want God to do something and he's done something, tell what he's done. So if you was to give a testimony of how God will save uh, people, then, then you expect people to be saved after they hear the testimony. Right? Because you're literally charging the atmosphere with faith. Do it again, God. So what, what, what kind of testimony does he give her? We don't have time to go into the whole story, but right prior to Luke chapter, uh, the first part of Luke 1 where this story is, Elizabeth who was an old woman, declared, you know, past menopause, has gotten pregnant. That's pretty miraculous. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. He's going to be the forerunner of Christ. Zechariah, her dad, I mean his dad, uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John. Now this is a young couple, listen to me, they used to pray for stuff often. And what they prayed for was a son. But it never happened. You ever prayed for something that didn't happen? Come on, you got to play church for me this morning. How many are praying for something and it still ain't happened? You okay? Okay, now who am I talking to? Now, just because it hadn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Now, one thing they had on their side, they were praying the absolute will of God. God said, be multiply, you know, be fruitful, multiply. But it just didn't ever happen. I can imagine in my mind, I, don't, I can't prove this, but they probably over the years had prophets call them out in services and say, you know, you're going to have a son, prophesy something to them. And, and they never got to see it. And then you go home, and years go by, and years go by, and you start doubting that. Ah, it must have been that guy. Ah, I ain't sure God was like, maybe not for us. Maybe it's not us. No. And you start losing faith in that. And then Zechariah was a preacher. He was a preacher. I'm sorry. <clears throat> but he didn't quit. So he's down there doing his priestly duties, you know, under the old covenant one day. And uh, 
He's doing the incense. We don't understand all that, but it's under the old covenant. And Gabriel just all of a sudden appears at the right side of the altar, it says. You know, God can just do stuff that you didn't know was going to happen that day. And Gabriel speaks to him and says, you know, you're going you're gonna to have a child. Now, his response is a bit different than Mary's. Zechariah's response was, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's the absolute truth of the, of the content. He, he's literally saying to Gabriel, how do I know you're not lying to me? How can this be? What he's saying is, I can't go home and tell that woman and get her hopes up. Because we done closed the case on all that. We done sold the baby bed. We long years ago give up that that was going to happen. And yet we still love God. And we're still going to keep serving him. And we're still going to read our Bible. And we're still going to go to church. And we're still going to raise our children right. But that just didn't happen for us like we thought. And yeah, we're a little disappointed. And we don't understand it. But we sure ain't going to quit. But I can't go home tell her that, man, that she kind of, how do I know? Gabriel seems to be a little agitated to me when I read it because then his response is, because I'm Gabriel. <laughs> He's like, I stand before the throne of God. Gabriel's like, you're questioning my, I mean, here I am. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what he looked like, how tall he was, but that had to be significant. But it's amazing, even in a supernatural encounter, your doubt can overweigh supernatural things with God. And so Gabriel says to him, now, see, this right here is an acid test of what kind of religious mind you have. I don't mean that offensively. Before grace invaded my life to the extent it is now and is invading it, I used to read this next part because what Gabriel says to him, because you didn't believe the word of God, you shall be dumb and not be able to speak until the child's born. I used to see that as punitive, that God was angry, ticked off. He was punishing Zechariah for his question and his doubt that is not my father that is not my father uh, all God was doing is showing us the reality of what he said all the time in the Bible the power of the tongue produces life and death and God was just simply taking away his ability to nullify what he was promising to give to him and you, you might not believe that and that's fine you just believe God's a mean God knocking people in the head if you want to I just last week if you go on my website dellyoung.net I had a lady write in uh, and she said, she was reading about my book. Uh, my book was being advertised on Facebook, and she, some of you probably saw this post. So she was reading about the book, and when she saw about the book, she come under there and wrote. She asked me, she said, what about Job? She said, that's the sickest story that I've ever read in my life, how God would use his son, Job, to prove something to a devil, and it would end up getting his family all killed. And she said, basically, she just, you know, basically said, you Christians are stupid. You're, it's a sick, perverted story. And you're going to try to get me to worship that God? So it broke my heart. I couldn't do nothing all night but think about that woman. Because there's so many people out there that don't know who God is. They've gone to church a couple of times. They supposedly might even read their Bible. And it ain't like I know everything. I thought he used to do that to Job too. But even if he did, you know, so I wrote, a, I wrote an article. I just took her title, What is Job? What about Job? And I put out a blog like a couple of days, a few days ago. Oh, the hell I have called. Oh, the messages I have deleted off the comment section of my Facebook page. My oldest son, Justin, told me not to quit deleting them. Daddy said, I just moves you high up in the rank. Let them go. 
They were telling me how stupid I was. I need to get me a King James Version of the Bible where I could read the Bible accurately and all these things and, and how I had the story wrong. And some of you sitting here, you think God dangled Job in front of Satan like a piece of meat and said, sick him, boy. I want to have a contest. Job's going to be the... You understand, if God did say sick him, Job, that ended up getting all his kids killed. You ever buried any of your kids? Not only their kids, but their wives. See, that's the real story of Job. They died. And he said, well, God didn't do it, but he allowed it. Same thing. Then that makes God the Godfather instead of the Father God. That means he ordered the hit. He allowed the hit for his own selfish motives. Now, maybe you can bow your knee and pray to a God like that and be fine with it. And then work out all the other hell that comes along in your life, but I can't. Because that ain't real to me. That ain't the God I pray to, the God I talk to, or the God I know. Nor is it the God I see in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the invisible, he is the manifested representation of the invisible God, Hebrews says. And I, and I may not understand a lot, and I, there's a lot I don't understand. But I am a follower of Jesus, not Job. And I'm a disciple of Jesus, not Job. And Job didn't have a Bible to turn to. He didn't have a, uh, anything to turn to. And Job in his own Bible said, I said, in his own book of Job said, I said things that I did not know and understand. So when Job made that statement, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, that's not true. Just because it's wrote in the Bible don't mean it's true. God recorded men saying stupid stuff to help us because me and you say stupid stuff. About him. The Lord, and so how many parents hate God because a preacher read, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away over the little casket of their dead kid. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's fine when you ain't, it ain't your dead child. That mess don't hold up in real life though. If I thought God just gave me a child and inside he needed a flower for the bouquet table of heaven five years later and took my five-year-old, I'd throw my Bible in the trash, cuss his name, and never call on him ever again. How about that for straight-up Sunday morning preaching? But see, that ain't who he is. I'm thinking all these people that's writing and tearing my head off, where's all my supporters that believe that God didn't do that? It's always the one, you know, they just, we're, we're the quiet ones. But them religious devils, buddy, they, they're quick. I, I mean, if I wrote what I wanted to write on there, I'd say, y'all think I give a rat's rearing about what y'all comments are. I'm not posting something for you to comment. I'm posting to get the gospel to people that desperately are dying and need it. And they need to hear the truth about a loving God who gave his son with no guarantee that we'd accept him because he loves us. And I've, like I've always said, anything that you think or I think that I know about God the Father that I cannot prove into the life, looking at the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, you better throw it out. You better at least call it into question. Because the Old Testament is an inferior, I didn't say wrong, an inferior revelation of who God is. And some people act like we don't even need Jesus to come, that we knew who God was before he got here. We didn't have a clue who God was before Jesus got here. So don't point me to Job, I'm going to point you to Jesus. There's a lot I don't understand. I wish Job wasn't in there, to be honest with you. That just eliminated that whole confusion. But it's in there. And God's got a divine purpose for it being in there. But God didn't go around killing his kids. Let me tell you something. The Bible says in St. John 10, 10, the thief, the, the Satan is a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Is that right? Amen. Okay, if I give you permission to come in my house and take my TV, I cannot call you a thief. Right? How am I going to call you a thief if I gave you permission and gave you the keys? Then you're not a thief. If God gives Satan permission to kill people and use Satan to do it, 
You can't be called a thief. Use your brains, people. Me, me and you and all of us together are not going to figure God out. But I am not going to allow religious devils to confuse me on this one point. That God is good. God is love. God is who he says he is. And if you, I mean, I, I guess you're just the first church of Job. The first church of Job is all I know. Build you a church around it and go there and scrape your skin with pot shirts and Cetera, you know, some things I've gone through so much physically lately. You know, I mean, you might be sitting here. Shouldn't say that by my know. But somebody said something about a lot of you know suffering. I mean, I've had some physical things. Real, it's been the last six six months, years been just hell on wheels to me. To be honest with you. And uh, people say, when I think about you, I just think about Job and all. <laughs> Thanks. God's not turned no devil loose on none of us. Why Jesus came. That was off the sermon, on to the blog, but it's the truth. It breaks my heart when people don't know, you know. And then, but you you just couldn't, you know. A lady come on back on there and posted YouTube things about how Christianity is a myth was started by Caesar, and and, and man, and, and, see those people are evangelizing. They're working hard to prove that God's not real. You know what we're doing? We're sitting around playing on Facebook and. Come on now. Come on, man. See, God's given us an indescribable gift, and that's his son, Jesus, in, in Jesus himself. But what makes the gift so amazing is that what Jesus brought as a gift was righteousness. I talk about it a lot. I'm not going to have time this morning to do what I intended to do. But the thing about salvation is it makes us righteous, right with God. God is right, and he cannot be wrong. God's never been wrong, can't be wrong. Sometimes you hear other preachers say, well, you know, if God was to tell it, you know, where the Bible says, the Bible says God can't lie. And if God was to tell a lie, it would become a truth when he told it. Well, that's not really a good analogy, I don't think, because that means God would be trying to tell a lie. And God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Let every man be a liar, but let God be the truth. So, so no, no, God would never even speak a lie. God don't have to turn a lie into truth because truth is who God is. He is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. So God give us the truth in his son Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's the whole, that's the whole story. And when you, when you believe the word of God, like Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word, then God, will, he'll help you along. He said, listen, girl, Gabriel said, days of day, your, your cousin, Elizabeth, the one you remember who was called barren and never, never could have a baby, she's six months pregnant. Now, a lot of people are probably telling her she's got a tumor and that she don't really have a baby because, again, she can't go get an ultrasound. And it seems, to, listen, from Scripture that, that Elizabeth never felt the baby kick. And one thing uh, that women tell me that they want to feel is that baby kick. And once they feel it kick one time, they want to feel it keep on kicking. Okay? They might like it take a break every now and then, but that's, it brings them peace. Okay? So it seems to me from Scripture, Mary, uh, Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist to be, has never felt the baby kick one time or move. I can imagine people saying, you have a tumor. You ain't got no baby, you old woman. You, you pass menopause. What are you? You Christians are crazy. The way y'all, you know, that's, that's the kind of deal. That's the real world. And so that's why it's so significant that when Gabriel tells Mary, your, co your cousin's six months pregnant, why don't you go hang out with her? Sometimes you need to find somebody to hang out with to show in a little bit. 
You need to find somebody that's a little bit further down the road in the message of grace than you are. So now she goes and hangs out with Elizabeth, and when they walk in and they greet one another for the first time, I believe, the baby leaped inside Elizabeth's womb. That's why, it was, that's why it's recorded. That's why it's significant. The baby leaped in her womb, and so, man, they had a Holy Ghost meeting them two women right there. I mean, Mary, Mary goes to prophesying. Elizabeth goes to prophesying. It's an amazing thing. I just don't have the time. But these two women have this encounter. And then, then Mary stays in her home with her for three months for 90 days. So that puts Elizabeth right at the time of having John the Baptist. Now, when John the Baptist is born, they're all trying to name him after the latest E-Network uh, stars off the E-Hollywood Network. But, but they, you know, they're discussing, we're going to name him this or that. And, and John, who can't speak, says, you know, motion for paper and pen, uh, you know, and pencil. And, and, and he, he, he writes, his name is John. And as soon as he did, his tongue was loosed. And they give glory to God. And, of course, he's a forerunner of, of Jesus Christ. God wasn't punishing Jesus has bore all the punishment for sin. God's not punishing you. Now, you can make bad decisions and bad choices, and you can partake of sin, and sin itself will punish you. In other words, you can, if I lay my hand on the eye of a stove, God's not punishing me. The eye of the stove is punishing me. It's going to burn my fingers. But God's not doing it. So don't get mad at him. Don't get confused about the source of the pain. God's not the author of your pain. He's the author of your faith. He's the author of your joy. He's the author of your love. That's who God is. So God's not behind your pain. God's not the motive behind it. God doesn't have a purpose. God is well able to teach you and train you and, and, and disciple you and even discipline you without beating you, giving you cancer, dangling you over hell on a rotten stick, or causing you to get run over and you know, taking stuff from you. That's not how God teaches. No good teacher would teach like that. They lock you up for that in the state of Georgia. They call it child abuse. Don't accuse my father of that. He's not that. He's not that. And so... This gift of righteousness, what does it mean? It means God is right. He's always right. He's never wrong. He can't be wrong. And, he, and so when we are born again, then we are made righteous with God. If you could throw up Romans 10, at least I hit some verses quickly. Verse 1, and, and, and Paul, see, so if you have an indescribable gift, and what this gift is indescribable is it makes you and I right with God. So when you're reading your Bible, I hope you know this by now, but when you see the word justified, it's the exact same Greek word, made righteous. It means the same thing. So do you understand that you're righteous? And, it, and this thing about righteousness is so important that if you don't get this, listen to me, this is a powerful statement, I think, but you really cannot be a fruitful, successful Christian as you should be if you don't have the revelation of the gift of God's righteousness. Because this indescribable gift that he brings is the gift of righteousness. He says that in Romans 5. I don't have time. But in Romans 5, it's where he says, this is the gift of righteousness. You don't achieve it. You receive it. How do you receive it? How does it come? To whom does it come? It comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ, who put their confidence in him. Now, in, in, uh, here he says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So how do you respond to an indescribable gift? This is what God wants you to do with this gift. Next verse. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You can be all excited about God, but you don't have the knowledge of what we're talking about. You don't know that God is good and he has grace. For, the, for them being ignorant of God's righteousness. So much of the church is ignorant of God's righteousness. And, and so if you're ignorant of God's righteousness, you're going to seek to establish your own righteousness. And what it is, is rebellion because you're not submitting to the righteousness of God. It takes faith to submit to God and to just stop trying to get God to like you. Stop trying to do stuff to make God like you. He already loves you. 
Submit to his righteousness. Don't try to produce your own. Okay? For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, once the law came, it was to point you to Christ. But once you accept Christ, you don't need the law. Now, here's where people get mad with me. Yeah, I'm telling you, you don't need the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying that I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. I believe in thou shalt not kill. I believe in that. I believe in thou shalt. But I don't believe in using the commandments for you to try to keep the rules to make yourself presentable and acceptable to God. That's what the Bible teaches. Because if you could do that, Jesus wouldn't have to come. You cannot, no man, no human being has ever been made righteous by keeping the law. The only human that's ever kept the law in his total totality is Jesus. And you and I are accredited that you have kept the law 100% through Christ. Because he kept it, you put your faith in him, your count is stamped, impugned, righteous. See, this, this, okay, let me go on. Drop down to um, verse 9. <laughs> They're prophetic. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? Now you confess. Notice we're confessing. You know this here, Grace Point, but we're not confessing sin, are we? What are we confessing? We're confessing the Lord Jesus. Well, you confess him. You confess. The word confess, homo lego, means same thing. Agree with God's word. So you confess in the Bible don't mean cry and tell God you're sorry for doing wrong. It means to agree with God. So God's asking you to agree with him and, and, and agree that your salvation is based on one person, and that's the Lord Jesus. And, the, and then secondly, to believe it where? Normally we tell people to believe in their head, but now we're telling them to believe in their heart that it's so important that you know that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I don't have time to do this. I think it's the last verse of Romans 4. You don't have to find I think it's the uh, last verse of Romans 4 chapter. But I ask people sometimes, why did God raise Jesus from the dead? I ask Christians this sometimes. And they'll go, well, that's because that's his boy. <laughs> you know, that's his son. No, no. The Bible says that he, he, he suffered. He paid because of our transgression, our sins. But he was raised because of our justification. Is that right? There it is. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And he was raised because of our justification. So he went to the cross because of sin. But the reason God raised him from the dead is because God said you're really justified. You're, you're made righteous. Remember, justification means made righteous. So the, the, the fact that Jesus got out of the grave is proof that you've been made righteous. And you're not just righteous in God's eyes. It's not a pretend to be righteous. Because it's not your righteousness. It's God's righteousness. See, a Christian that don't know that they really are righteous 24 hours a day, 7 days a week from this point forward in eternity... Then they're not going to have a very successful Christian life. Example, they're not going to be confident. They're not going to be confident in their prayer life because the Bible says come before the throne room of grace boldly. But they're not going to come boldly. They're going to come like a worm and tell God how sorry they are, and they're going to spend the first 30 minutes telling God and confessing all their sins. And by the time that, they give out from praying and feel like a dirt bag, and then they ain't going to ask God for nothing because they feel like he ain't going to give it to them anyway because they ain't righteous. Welcome to where I used to live for a couple of decades. It's not fun. The Bible says righteous man may fall seven times, but he'll get back up again. So if a person don't have the revelation of the gift of God's righteousness, when they screw up, fall, sin, whatever, they'll give up a lot of times. They'll just quit coming to church. They'll quit everything. They'll, the devil will convince them that they're done for. But, but a person that knows they're righteous, even though they have fallen seven times, they'll, they'll just get right back up and come on back to church and say, I'm not done for. I, I didn't do right. I'm not proud of it. Uh, but, you know, and I'm not, not, I'm not saying it ain't a big deal, but I'm saying what's a bigger deal than my sin is his righteousness, and I'm the righteous of God in Christ. And they're just going to keep on coming. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. So they're going to come, how can they come bold like a lion? Because they know they're not standing in their righteousness, not in their performance, not in their works, not anything that they've done. 
Okay? So it, the revelation of God's gift of righteousness changes everything in your life. Back to Romans 10, please. And so verse 10. It says, if we, if we confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that, that, see, with the mouth, look, look here, with the heart one believes unto what? See, this is the whole thing of salvation. The gift is about that you believe this gift, that you believe when you put your faith in Jesus, you know what? It makes you righteous. You're right with God from that moment forward, even when you don't do right. Now listen to this statement, lest I forget it. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. You have never had to repent. Some of you are looking at me so strange. God bless you. I love you. Please keep coming because I'm not making stuff up. This is in Romans 5, beginning in verse 17 and following. But the Bible says, through one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made, born sinners. You were never, ever called a sinner because you did something wrong. Your, your sinner status was imputed to you by Adam's dis, uh, transgression. So the point of that is, you go, well, that, that, yeah, but, but you got to know that. You don't have to teach a kid to sin. Just get them born and watch them. They'll go at it. No courses needed. They'll fight, steal, hit, whatever. It's born in them. They're born sinners. Not because they've sinned, but they were born a sinner. You're made that way. They didn't do anything. That sin is imputed. The word imputed means something that somebody else did has been assigned to you, accredited to you. So the sin, the, one, the transgression of Adam was accredited to you. You with me? So the, and if I can get you to believe that, so the reason you sin is because you are a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. Big difference. So you were born that way. So therefore, if it was not your sin that made you a sinner... It will not be your righteousness that makes you righteous. Amen. It will not be your righteous acts, your righteous deeds that will make you righteous in God's sight. Amen. Listen to me. It was not your sin that made you a sinner in the sight of God. It was Adam's. Therefore, it will not be your righteous deeds, acts, benevolences, or anything else that will make you righteous, keeping rules, even the Ten Commandments, in the sight of God. It will be the last Adam's righteousness will be imputed or imparted to you when you put your faith in him. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Adam, last Adam, Jesus, his righteousness will be imputed to you as a gift. It is not achieved, it is received. It's never taken back. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God never removes them. He never turns the dial down on them. You will always be righteous in the sight of God. Because you are righteous in the sight of God. And if you'll begin to walk out of that revelation of that free gift, you will live better life on accident than you ever did trying on purpose. You'll live out of the freedom and the liberty that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am God's righteousness. I'm God's righteousness. My Lord. If I still have more deep Pentecostal roots, I'd have lapped on that one, I'm telling you. We got to get this, people. And when you live out of that, I'm not trying to tell people sin, don't worry about it, sin's not a big deal. I live better now on accident than I ever tried on purpose. Because I'm living out of the revelation of this awesome, indescribable gift of God's righteousness that He has given us. And it, it changes everything. And no, I don't always do right, and I don't always act right, and I don't always say the right thing. And if you don't believe me, ask the woman I live with. But I know how to look at her and say, I'm sorry. And I know how to, to even, and, and to, would you, you ever tell God you're sorry? Yes. Man, I love him. 
I don't want to mess up and act like an idiot. And I just say, God, I thank you that I am forgiven and I'm still righteous. And I love you and I'm so thankful that you love me. And that my, our relationship ain't based on my behavior. It's based on your son. That gives me confidence and it caused me to get up and go on in the morning. It caused me to get up and go on and, 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 and halfway have some joy. Man, there's enough hell in this world. I don't know if I'm in the wrong one, but man. If I didn't even, I don't even know. April, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I can make it right now. I'm serious. If I didn't, have, if I hadn't come into this revelation of how good God is and His righteousness and His love, I don't know. If I still was serving mean, angry God that I could never please, it was judgmental, punish me every time, waiting to hit me in the head. And I don't know if I could make it. If I thought He was behind the club. <laughs> How you keep going with that? Uh-uh. He's not the source of my pain. He's the source Amen. of my life. Yes. And so I want you to know that, that you're righteous. And what makes you righteous is this gift. And what he tells us in Romans 10 is that this is how what I want you to respond to it. If you'll respond to that gift, if you'll confess and agree, then it will make you righteous. Righteous has got something to do with everything. I even think about a verse that we always have, quote, no, no problem, it's okay. I do it too. What, what, first Peter, uh, what is it, First Peter 1, 24, <laughs> by his stripes, we were healed, right? But what that, the entirety of that verse says that, that he bore our transgressions in his, on his own body on the tree. And it, says, and, and, we, and it says we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. By whose stripes. And, 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 we, and, and it also says that, 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 that righteousness is by his right. First Peter 2.24. Put that up. And if I didn't need it, it would be 1 Peter 1.24. So I, I just want to see it. Because even in the manifesting of our healing, you need to understand that God's not withholding healing from you because you're not righteous enough. Do you understand that? That's why James 5 talks about that. Look at it. He, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sin. How, when did we die to sin? When, we, when Jesus died because we were with him. That we might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. God intrinsically ties righteousness to everything that's got to do with salvation, healing. And, and healing is part of your salvation. And it's all intrinsically tied with the full, full appropriation and appreciation that when Jesus died and I put my faith in that sacrifice, I in that instant moment became God's righteousness. I am then and now and forever forward the righteousness of God and nothing, not even that I do, can change it. In other words, when Adam, the first Adam sinned in the garden and you were called a sinner because of his transgression, couldn't you still be nice? Come on. Couldn't you do benevolent deeds, help somebody change your tire, give food, be nice? But all your benevolent deeds never took you out of that status of being a sinner. Is that right? There was no benevolent deed you could do, even to the giving of your body to die, the New Testament says, that would change your status. Nothing. So therefore, would you grab me, Ron, that other box of handkerchiefs on that? No, right here's one. Hand me that, that one right there. I know I've done this before. It's been a while. I like doing it, so I got the mic. Okay.
Now, Ron, Ron is holding every, everything in the Bible boils down to this little, old, this little old picture. You're either, this is Adam. This represents the first Adam. Okay? See how cheap that is? <laughs> and this represents the silver container, redemption, which is Jesus. Now, what we got here is just by being born naturally, you were born in this box, Adam. And what's going to happen in this box is it's going to get thrown in the fire and it's going to perish. In Adam, all die. That's what the Bible says. Anybody know that? So in Adam. So the, the question is not, it's just where you, location, location, location. Okay? So you're either in Adam or you're either in Christ. Now, if you're in Adam, so everybody here today, everybody listen to this podcast, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's the only two possibilities. So if you're in Adam and remain in Adam, you will die. You will die eternally, I'm to speak. You will die. If you're in Christ, you will live. So salvation, God reached in to Adam, pulled you out, took you out of Adam. God had made an opening in his son's side. If any man be in Christ, and God took you and me, and he placed you in Christ. If any man be in Christ, not in church, any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now all of your judgment is past. All of your security is sure. You are now secure at home in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is an absolute new, and it uses creature, new creation. How did you get to be an old creation? By being born in the natural. How do you get to be a new creation? By being born again. That's why Jesus said, marvel not that I say you must be born again. He said, if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. So when you're born again, God puts you in Christ. Now when the devil looks, that's all he sees. You're in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ. And, and, he, and he, God went on to, that would be good enough. But he went on to make other promises. He said, once you're in me, no man can pluck you from me. There ain't a hand strong enough to reach in there and to pull you back out. And if you want to glorify your sin over God's son, if you want to glorify the sin and the power of sin over the power of God and his son and his precious holy blood, then that's dumb. I'm just telling you that's dumb. And not only is it dumb, it's blasphemous. Because there is, your sin is not stronger than God's son. Your sin is not able to reach the hand of sin in there and snatch you away and throw you into the garbage again and make you start over from scratch. No way, baby. God puts you in Christ. And if God puts you in, he's the only one that can put you out. And he won't ever put you out. He won't ever remove you. You're there. You're secure. Thank you, Ron. And you need to know that. And I don't know whether you know what I just said or not, but that there was some doggone Good news. <laughs> that's how we say that's, that's good news. Stand with me. Now listen, seriously. I see y'all, I see my grace people out here. I get on stuff like this and y'all, 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 y'all's face just radiates. You don't know. You ain't even got to be hollering amen. That smile give me all the amens I need. I just, I just want to end this with this. I'm thinking, do y'all think what, what I'm preaching here? And it ain't about me. Come on, you got to know my heart. 
Are we telling people the truth or are we just playing games down at Grace Point? I mean, is this really the truth? It, it must be the truth because I have really caught a lot of stuff on the, you know. But I, I just want to read you something that I just read last week. In that same Romans 10, he goes on to say, right after the one I just read, if, if we believe with our heart, we believe unto righteousness. Verse 11 says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then he says there's no distinction between a Jew or a Greek. The Lord's the same over everybody. He wants everybody saved. Verse 13, he's amazing promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord be what? Saved. Verse 14, though, says this. How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? There's a lot of people I don't believe. How shall they believe in whom they've not heard? A lot of people had not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? We need preachers. We don't need newscasters, news reporters, echoes, polyparrots. We need preachers of the gospel. And then he said in verse 15, how shall they preach unless they are sent? How, and it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. What's he saying the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace that he's talking about is not so you have peace in your life and peace between people. No, he's saying the gospel of peace is the same peace that God spoke that night when he visited those shepherds watching over their flock by night. And he, and he told them, behold, he said, on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. God wasn't saying there's going to be peace on earth. God was saying because of that little baby being born in Bethlehem, I'm no longer angry with nobody on this planet. And I'm going to reconcile this problem called sin unto myself through the death of my son. And I've declared peace and the war is over. And I'm not mad. And I want them to come home and be reconciled to me, their papa. That was what it really means. That's the whole meaning of Christmas. Now listen to this. Listen intently. Listen. Less than 30% of Americans attend any church, any church, on any Sunday. Less than 30%. What if we believe what I'm preaching here and these other preachers preach here? What if we really believe that it is the truth? And that it done what it's done for you. It set you free from the bondage of performance and man-made religion. And you really begin to realize. I had a lady the other night after I posted about Job. And I know her. I've known her for years. She didn't come to church. She didn't go to church anywhere. Hadn't been to church in many years. She used to attend where I pastored in Sparks many years ago. And I posted that on the Job, about Job, and she came under and wrote a comment on my website. You can go there and read it. She said something to this effect. She said, last part, she said, I, she said, I really do hope it's like you said here in this article. She said, I've been so confused. And I've read so many commentaries, and I've been in religion and raised in so many different voices that I wonder where the unity of the faith really is gone and who really has the truth anymore. But she said, I really do, Brother Dale, hope that it's like you said in this article. Because she said, I would say this after following you these years. You know, she said, I've found it much easier to love the God that you somehow have discovered than the God that I was raised and introduced to. You'll see my comment. I commented back. I said, I understand totally. If I was raised very legalistic with a hard God that I could never please her felt like they ever really liked me that good but I said I love your last comment your last sentence for I too have begun to love this God much more because he is the God of grace and that's the God of the heavens 
the God of the Bible, the true God. But 30% of Americans attend church. And if we believe what I'm saying is truth, listen to me. 82% of people surveyed, this is recent, said that they would likely attend church if they were personally invited. 82%. Of those 82%, it goes on to say 70% said that they had never been invited to church even once in their whole life. 70% said no one had ever in their life ever invited them to a church. Only 2% of Christians, that means you and I standing in here, according to this survey, said that they had invited someone to their church in the last 12 months. Only 2% said in the past 12 months that they had invited. And I'm not going to put you on the spot and play no games. I'm, that's not my point. I, I'm not going to say how many of you, you know, no, no. But I do want you to think the question. Have you in the past 12 months, with intentionality and sincerity and with hope for their souls, looked at another human being, known or not unknown by you, and said, I want to invite you to my church. I want to tell you that, that the, when you come there, you won't be beat up. You'll be built up. You'll be lifted up. And you'll hear the truth about how good God really is. And that God's not angry with you. And God's not punishing you. And God's not mad. Would you please come to church with me? I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll, I'll come by and get you. you know, if we did that sincerely. Now, you can forget this before you get to the lunch table today. And probably a lot will. But my hope is that you won't. Because the whole reason that you and I are here is because of him, this indescribable gift. And I'm, I'm asking you, that if you believe in the message, if it does more than give you goosebumps and makes you feel good, but what about all the people that don't know? What about the lady that's writing about, what about Job? Saying that's the sickest story she ever heard. What about this woman that's been out of church for over a decade, so confused, so disheartened, so, so, so messed up? What if they could hear the gospel and fall back in love with God again and enjoy it? Enjoy their salvation. I need help. We've still got a few empty chairs. And I really do want to go and preach twice on Sunday. I'm a big boy. I, can, I think I can do it. If I can't, I can tag up with that man. And have dual services. Now, I don't want to get too crowded in here. Come on, man. Let's crowd ourselves out of our seats. Let's invite somebody. Invite them. Seriously. Not just around, I know it's around Christmas. But a lot of times that puts you around people that you're not normally around. And a lot of times that puts their heart in a little more open position than it normally would be found to be in. I'm asking you not to forget it when 18 rolls in. I'm asking you to invite somebody. Say, come with me. When I see people like you, different ones in here, driving. Got a man drives all the way from middle Georgia every Sunday. He's been doing it for years. Drove all the way last Sunday just to keep the nursery, him and his wife. <laughs> Rusty Jones, amazing man, him and his wife. Just amazing, man. We were talking about him and staff. Been doing it for years. I looked, my heart almost broke last Sunday because he met me in the back and I hugged him. And I knew I hadn't saw him in the sanctuary. And I knew he had driven all the way from middle Georgia just because it was his Sunday to keep the nursery. How many men and women would be that dedicated to the kingdom of God? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to challenge you and say, you know, your passion will cause you to do a lot of wonderful things. And so if you believe in the message at Grace Point, if you really believe in it, then we need to get the word out. I can't wait till we have other campuses in these, in these areas. I'm telling you, I'm chomping, man. I want to see other campuses. We're going to be planting a church in just a, a little while up in Tifton. It's supposed to start in January. Last I talked with my preacher, 
So we'll have a, we'll have a connection there in that city. But I want to see Quitman have a church. I want to see Homerville have a church. I want to see, I, I want to see these, I want to see Lake Park. I want to see these other places have campuses and churches. And for that, you got to have pastors and laborers and, 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 and we got to have the gospel. A pastor called me the other day, a church is needing a pastor and they want me to even buy the whole physical church. You know, I'm going like, no, thank you, but, <laughs> but uh, in another city, you know, but there, there's such need out there for the gospel. The gospel, the true gospel that liberates men's lives. You receive the word today. Elders, ministry team, would y'all come up and... Uh, Whew. Don't miss Sunday. And I think on New Year's Eve, Sunday morning, the Lord's going to allow me to, I very seldom do that, but I've been feeling that for a while, and I'm not going to say I'm going to turn into some big prophet, but I do want to just tell you some things I'm seeing uh, as we move into 18. So uh, we do love you guys. Hey, we're going to dismiss you. Man, I love my elders, Ken. Ivory, thank them for baptizing this morning in there. And, uh, just they're precious, precious men, Ron, Billy Ray, Crawford, all, all of the, Andy, everybody that serves in this church is such a blessing. So many deacons, we couldn't even keep this thing running if we didn't have all these deacons and doing all that they do. And I, I'm just so appreciative and just run out of time being able to acknowledge all the people that makes my job easy to come in and do what I do. And to preach this glorious, wonderful, amazing, indescribable gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you tell I really believe it? Can you tell I like it? Can you tell I'm not struggling with it? I mean, I love God more than I ever have because I found out he loves me more than I ever thought he did. And that's what's made the difference. So when I love you, I pray you have a wonderful Christmas. If you're going traveling, getting out of here this week, just, just hurry back. Okay, be safe. And uh, we'll pray for you. You pray for us. And uh, we, we, we just, we covet your prayers. Me and Jill do. We really do. We love you, Father. Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the gift. We can't describe it. We join Paul and just say, yeah. <laughs> wow, indescribable. But all we can say is we receive it by faith. And we're, we're appropriated and learning more every day in the knowledge of the peace and the grace of God that comes through Jesus. So if any of these people need prayer for any reason, then we can somehow help to agree with what you have said over them. May they come to this altar. May they confess Jesus. Agree with you, God. Know that they're righteous if they've put their faith in your Son, our Savior, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, come this way. If not, you're dismissed.